And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to Echoes of Calvary, brought to you by Calvary Bible Church. Please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Today, Pastor Elliot continues unpacking the first 14 verses of this chapter. Listen out for two different things we need to. One, reckon. Two, consider and three, count. And now, with his message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliott. At the front door of this passage, we need to point out three preliminary understandings. You will not understand this passage if you miss these three preliminary understandings. Ready? Three. Number one, sin is singular not plural. And sin singular is the root of all sins, plural. Sin singular is the root of all sins, plural. The law of sin and death is another way of saying sin singular, the root of sins, plural. Just flip over to Romans 7, 25, please. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with the flesh, the law of sin. So sin singular in Romans 6, 1 to 14, sin singular is the law of sin and death, the principle of sin and death. Romans 8, 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so the first preliminary understanding to understand Romans 6, 1 to 14, is that it's sin, singular, and that is the root of all sins, plural. And another synonym for sin, singular, is the law of sin or the law of sin and death. The second preliminary you must understand is that the state of being dead is the state of being separated and unresponsive. Consistently, death in Scripture is separation. Physical death is a separation of the soul and the spirit from the body. Eternal death is the separation of the resurrected soul, spirit, and body forever in a literal place the Bible calls hell. In Scripture, death is separation. So what we are saying that in this passage, the state of being dead is the condition of being separated and unresponsive. Third, the state of being alive is the state of being united and responsive. That makes sense. If in this passage, dead means to be separated and unresponsive, that in this passage, being alive is the state of being united and being responsive. To say that we have died to sin, singular, is to say that we are separated from the law of sin and death. To say that we have died to sin, singular, is to say that we no longer have to be slaves to the downward pull 
into sins, the downward pull of the law of sin and death. So look at verses 3 to 7 of Romans 6, please, with me again. With these understandings. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. I've told you before that my grandfather and my father have been funeral directors in Toronto. As a funeral director, my father has conducted and arranged the funerals of probably hundreds of alcoholics. And the curious thing is that if my dad were to put a bottle of rum on the casket of an alcoholic who was given to rum the corpse would move not one inch toward the bottle. What he couldn't resist while alive, he can't respond to at all while dead. Friends, because we are co-crucified with Christ, we are dead. And we are separated from having to be pulled down into sinning. We ought to be unresponsive to the law of sin and death. And we will be until we stop seeing that we're unresponsive to the law of sin and death. Look at verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the first command of the book of Romans. You can read from chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 6, verse 10, and there's not one command in that part of Romans. Not one. This is the first command in the book. Must be important. Verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word consider here is pivotal. You have to know what it means. The word consider translates a commercial term in Greek. It was an accounting term to consider. To consider carried the ideas of counting, reckoning, tallying, computing, It was a commercial word. And the first command of Romans to you as a believer, to me as a believer, even so consider, count, tally, figure yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And again, so we don't miss it, it's the first command of the book. To what exactly are we to count ourselves as being dead to sin? detached from and unresponsive to the law of sin and death? And what else are we to reckon in verse 11 that we should count ourselves as being alive to God in Christ Jesus? 
connected to God in Christ Jesus, capable of response to God in Christ Jesus. That's what we're to reckon. If you were to write that verse out and memorize it and to, and to recite that verse to yourself, to your head, to your self-talk, multiple times every single day until you go to heaven, it would help you to be holy. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. But do you know why water baptism of a believer is biblically by immersion, by putting fully underwater briefly? Do you know why? Because the Greek verb baptizo means to place into, doesn't mean to sprinkle. It means to place into. And because immersion in water best pictures co-crucifixion, co-burial, and co-resurrection with Christ. So when I baptize a believer, I say, buried with him through baptism into death, raised to walk in newness of life. Baptism by water is to be by immersion. Now, verses 12 and 13 explain this notion of stopping and starting. They present the notions of stopping and starting as a repeated process. Let's see that, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, because you're to consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, verse 11, therefore, verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but, pivotal change in the verse, but... Present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Incredible body Christ. The stopping in the presentation of our bodies to flesh and the law of sin and death is continuous. Similarly, the presentation of our bodies, redeemed bodies, to the Holy Spirit for righteousness is to be continuous. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas, and I serve the youth pastor at Calvary Bible Church. Today we want to continue. Um, we left off last week. We talked about real relationship, godly friendships. And we talked about a lifeline. And we talked about how Jesus had this conversation with the woman at the well. And we talked about how she was looking for the Messiah. And he is saying, I am he. And we stopped at verse 27. And we want to pick up right there. And it says that just then his disciples arrived. And they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? We talked about how this woman had this interaction. She wanted to tell people about this interaction and talked about Christ, the Messiah. And we want to talk about how we need to, to, to be real you see, Jesus gives us a place to be real. While there are so many things we could pull out of this passage, here's just one that I want us to think about today. Jesus gave the woman the gift of real friendship. He does the same for us. Notice this isn't the kind of friendship that involves after-school hangouts or year-long Snapchat streaks. This is the kind of friendship that says, you can be real with me because I'm going to love you no matter what. That's the kind of friendship Jesus offered to this woman. And it's this kind of friendship he offers to you and me. The things about you that worry aren't lovable. The secrets you hide because you're afraid no one 
would love you if they knew. Jesus sees the real you, and he loves you so much. You see, Jesus is inviting you into a friendship where you can be totally real and totally love. And as we consider that Jesus sees it and he loves us, um, I remember singing a song, you know, he sees the depths of our hearts, but he loves us the same. Yes, he doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to grow to be more like him. But the reality is that he loves us. And as we consider Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it said, Therefore be imitators of God, and dearly love children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us, and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. You see, we are called imitators of God. So does Jesus want us to befriend random strangers at drinking fountains and ask them awkward questions about their personal lives? No. But if we're supposed to be images of God, then it's important to look closely at the example of Jesus to see how we can be more like him in every area of our lives, including our friendships. Just like Jesus invites in a relationship that gives us a place to be real, friendships that imitate God are friendships that let us be real with each other. You see, godly friendships lets us be real. Godly friendships are, are places where we can be ourselves, where we don't have to put the show on, that we don't have to hide behind the social media, but we can be real and we can have conversation and we can talk to people that are going to help us. So how can you have friendships that give you a place to be real, honest, and love? And how can you be the kind of friend that gives others a place to be real, honest, and love? You see, the story gives us a few clues. Our friendships become places where we can be real when we are quiet, the judgment. You see, Jesus didn't go to Samaria by accident. He went to show his followers that their judgments of Samaritans were all wrong. They weren't people to be hated, but people to be loved. The second thing is this, we need to know who you are. When Jesus approached the Samaritan woman, he knew exactly who he was. He didn't change who he was to earn our attention or approval. But by, by confidently knowing exactly who he really was, Jesus showed her that she could discover who she really was too. Thirdly, we need to be real. If you want to be the kind of friendships where everyone can be real and still know they are loved by someone who has to go first, maybe it's you. And lastly, we need to invite real. When you think of a friend that might be struggling, don't ignore it. Don't let a tough topic keep you from talking about real things. Don't let a friend stay in hiding. You can be the kind of friend who gently and compassionately invites others to come out of hiding to be more real. This is the kind of friendship Jesus offers us. It's the kind of friendship we can offer each other. Jesus was a lifeline of real love to the Samaritan woman at the well. When we imitate Jesus, like Ephesians 5 says, we can become lifelines of real love to each other. Wouldn't it be incredible to know that your friendships are places where you can totally be real and totally love? And they can be. If you're not sure you have a place to be real and love right now, here's what I want you to do. First, you need to get real with Jesus. He's offering the same friendship to you that he offered the woman at the well. Let him be your lifeline of love, hope, and transformation. You see, we need to first of all have that right relationship with Jesus Christ. Second, we need to get real with someone. Maybe it's an adult, maybe it's a friend, but get real with someone. Let them know you're struggling with and that you want deeper friendships or that you feel alone so that you could really use a lifeline right now. Remember, godly friendship, let us be real. So let's be real with God and with each other. As we consider this, we need to ask ourselves that question, 
Do we, first of all, are we real with God? Are we hiding anything from him that he needs to know? Because he already knows. But maybe it's something in our lives that we need to confess to him. Something that we have done wrong and we know that we have done it wrong. But then I really want to challenge us to think about the friendships that we have. All these people that we can be real. You know, when I consider when I was a teenager, there are many people that I tried to impress. Many things I did so people would notice me. And and you hide your true feelings because you want to be liked. You want to be popular. You want to be in the know. You want to be around people who people respect in a sense of, oh, you with them, so you're cool. But the reality is that just because you're with those people doesn't mean that you may not still have an empty feeling. Because all you're doing is trying to fit in. And you're not being yourself. But because you want to fit in, you want to be in a popular crowd, you, you do these things. And like we talked a little bit about last week, we hide behind our social media pages and we we never going to post a picture that's bad on social media. Are we not going to post something that we feel, oh, that's going to be questionable in the sense of, oh man, people are going to say this thing about me. But we do things because we want to put the perfect picture in front of people that we're perfect. And the reality is that none of us are perfect. The reality is that every single person is in need of a savior. Every single person is in need of a friendship that people are there for them. People who are going to like them no matter what. People who are going to like you no matter how weird you may be. People are going to be there. And we are so thankful that we can have this relationship with Jesus Christ. A God that we can be real with. A God that is there for us. But also a God that wants us to have relationships where we can come together as one. So what I would challenge you if you're listening as a young person, I would challenge you if you're struggling with something, find a lifeline, find a person you can talk to. Because the worst thing that we would want is for you to do something that you would regret. You see, we need to be there for one another. And I think that as this, we looked at John chapter 4, the, the visit with the Samaritan woman, it teaches us that we can be real. Because if we are real with one another and God is with us, we would accept one another and we would help one another in all that we do. And now, today's ministry spotlight. Pleased to have uh, Brother Benny and Sister Lena in the radio studio this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. These dear folks know a lot about serving Jesus Christ uh, around the world. And uh, Brother Benny is the president of and chief pastor of Alpha Ministries. Please tell us a little bit about what Alpha Ministries Alpha Ministries is a church planting mission that was started by my father in 1965. And uh, it, he came to North India to plant one church and be the one missionary. Today, um, after 57 years, when we look at it, uh, the church, that one church has expanded into uh, several churches across India, then into Nepal and into Burma. And the work that we, uh, he started right there in India has impacted even East Africa and South Africa, I should say, and to West Africa in Sierra Leone, Benin, and those areas. It's where people, lot. because God sent students into India who were from Africa and things, and they'll 
learned the things, how the church is growing. They adopted those principles and took it back to their nations and things like that. So currently, the work that my father started in 1965, we have over 1,400 churches across these nations. 1,400 planted churches. Yes, sir. Praise God. That's wonderful. I know that your dad and mother have had a tremendous impact for good and yes. for the um, the glory of God in your life. Uh, what would you think would be maybe the th- three things that you really are glad they taught you? The first thing is... Uh, the giving us the knowledge of trusting in Jesus and living in a pagan community, seeing all other gods and goddesses. They were so strong uh, in instilling that word of God. And uh, we remember every evening we had this free Gideon's Bible. Yes. And my dad made us all sit and pray. Mm. So that and taught us from the word of God. That was a very great, good practice they had. Yes. The second is living by faith. You know, that their life was a big example for us to see how they trusted God for everything and how God provided. And they always reminded us, you know, it's like God telling in the scriptures uh, that telling your children's children, I'm taking care of Pharaoh here so that you will take care of share with your children's children about what God has done here with Pharaoh and his armies. The same way, you know, always reminding us through the scriptures what what God has done and giving thanks and having a thankful attitude and that generosity was in them. That is the third thing I see. Um, wherever I go in the world, I'll find a guy, like I found a Nigerian brother uh, calling and saying that, hey, brother, uh, how is your dad and mom? And I just talked with him. And the next thing he's telling me is that, how is mom mom doing? And mm. uh, uh, after dad's passage, you know, and I said, she's doing fine. Then he, I can still remember how she would say, eat, 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 and come and force feed me on my plate. So they they had that generosity in, in giving to people. My dad, the same way. I mean, I remember one day he came home. Uh, he was wearing his binion or... Uh, undershirt yeah and he said um, because there was two guys he was on a train and and he was sitting on the bottom uh, seat and there was a guy sitting upstairs up on the upper deck and somehow they bought tea and it spilled on uh, the guy sitting down mm. and they both started fighting mm. because the other man's white shirt was uh, destroyed by mm. this tea mm. dad took his shirt off and said don't fight and give it oh, he gave wow. it to him Bless and there was a man people. who was a Middle Eastern guy who was traveling on that train saw my dad do that. He gave him a new packet of sh- new shirt to him, saying that hey, I've never seen. So right there, but wow. he he came home like that because he met another guy who was a rickshaw man, who is a uh, you know a taxi driver, and sharing the story with him. By the so they both had that heart in giving for others, and that's what they taught us. And uh, that's the three things stands out. Praise the Lord. What a legacy that they left you. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. 
You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. Ephesians 3, verses 3 through 6. That by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before, in brief. And by referring to this, you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit, capital S, Spirit. The question is, what does Paul mean by the phrase, the mystery of Christ? In Ephesians 3, verse 3, Paul begins to elaborate on the mystery that he introduced in Ephesians 1, verse 9. A divine mystery is a sacred secret that has not been previously revealed, and when it is revealed, it is understood only by the initiated, that is, by believers. Paul makes no claim to be the sole recipient of this revelation. See chapter 3, verse 5. While the mystery was unknown by Old Testament revelation, it has been made known through the New Testament apostles and prophets. Paul identifies the mystery as the fact that Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's what verse 6 of chapter 3 is saying. The mystery is not that Gentiles would be blessed by God. That is clearly revealed in the Old Testament. See Genesis 12 verse 3, Joel chapter 2 verse 28, Amos chapter 9 verse 12. The mystery is that Jews and Gentiles are united on an equal basis in one spiritual body. Together they share an inheritance, a body, and the promises of God. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Today, our worship service begins at 10.30 a.m. in the sanctuary located at 62 Collins Avenue. We invite you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or write us at P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.